Well, we're continuing our study here on types and shadows, and I'm excited about this lesson. This is on the altar of incense. So I've got a couple of props here that I'm going to go ahead and explain if the camera guys can follow me around. Now, this obviously is not the tabernacle by any means, but I've got two props because I want to tie two altars together. Now keep in mind, in the tabernacle there are only two altars. There's lots of other furniture, actually five pieces of furniture that lead up to the mercy seat and the Ark of the Covenant. So seven total if you count the Ark of the Covenant, and then the mercy seat that sits on top of that is two pieces. So what I want you to see though is the correlation between the two altars. So out of all the furniture in the tabernacle, there's only two pieces of furniture that God calls most holy. Everything else he calls holy, but when he, when he refers to the brazen altar, and then he refers to the altar of incense. Now sometimes this is called the bronze altar, and sometimes you hear people call this the golden altar. And so if that is sometimes interchangeable in the translations. So I'm going to call them the altar of sacrifice and also the altar of incense, because that's what's being done on both of these altars. So there is a correlation. These two altars have to connect at some point in time to fulfill the, the uh, approach to the mercy seat. So I'm going to recap a couple of things that I told you earlier uh, in the teaching on the, on the brazen altar or on the altar of sacrifice. So I want to start with reading Hebrews 4 and 16 again because this is very important to understand this. It says, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy <clears throat> and find grace in the time of need. Okay, so this is very important. This is a throne of grace to obtain mercy. Now we talked quite a bit in the lesson on the altar of sacrifice about all the portrait of grace in the tabernacle, how everything is measured in fives. The posts were five cubits. The altar of sacrifice was five by five. And so you're going to see these patterns of five all throughout the tabernacle because five is the number of grace. So what you have in the tabernacle is you have five pieces of furniture that you have to go by in order to get to the mercy seat, which is at the very end. You have three compartments. On the outside, obviously, you have the outer court, the, uh, the courts of the people. Then the inside is the courts of the priests. And then you have the courts of God on the very inside. Now, in these five places that you have to go to, there are things that each of these represent. So, first of all, the brazen altar or the altar of sacrifice, the one we covered, that represents in our day and time our salvation. So the first step to getting to God is salvation. So that is where they would bring the lamb that was slaughtered. And as, as I told you in the last teaching on, that, on the altar, the word altar means to lift it up and slaughter it. So that's what it means. So they would bring the lamb or the ram or whatever animal was being offered, and they would bring it and sacrifice it on the altar, which in our day and time, that would be the prayer of salvation, turning our life over to Jesus Christ, accepting the sacrifice of the lamb of God who was slain for the sins of the world. And so that was what the brazen altar represents for us. Well, then you go to the laver. 
Now, the, the priests were the only ones who would go to the labor. The people did not need to go to the labor. But before the priests could enter in and to the second chamber, they had to wash their, their hands and their feet. And in some cases, they would wash their face. So, who can ascend to the hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. So, the custom was they washed their hands and washed their feet at the laver. So, what does the laver represent? If the, if the altar of sacrifice is our salvation, what does the laver represent? That represents our sanctification, using a New Testament term. So, how are you sanctified? By the washing of the water of the Word. Now, I know that there's a lot of groups that believe that sanctification is an instant work of grace, that you're set apart. Well, you know, there, there probably is an initial moment where you are set apart by God. But I personally believe that sanctification is a progressive work, that you have to be sanctified continually. And how do I, you don't go and wash at the labor one time. You go and wash it in the labor every time you get dirty. So it's this washing of the water of the Word of God constantly in my life that purifies me as I approach the Lord. So in these five stations, you have something that represents our salvation, something that represents our sanctification. All of this is in the outer court. Remember, the outer court is all brass, it's bronze, it's smelly, it's dirty, it's bloody. I mean, there's animals crying. There's, you know, this is a, it's a, it's a noisy place. It's a, it's a butcher's table. So there's a lot going on. There's entrails on the ground, the smells. I mean, you think about all of that that's going on. Does that not look like life? That's us. That's the courts of the people. That's what life looks like when you bring it to Christ. So there's our salvation and our sanctification. But then you go inside a room that is overlaid with gold. So I've come from this dirty place into this purified place. I come from bronze to gold. Now the priest, after he washes his hands, can go into the next go into the next division of the, of the tabernacle. So inside that you have three more pieces of furniture. Now prophetically speaking, two is the number of Christ. Three is the number of divine completion in heaven, but also the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So here in this outer court you can only come to Christ, uh, you can only come to God through Christ. So that's why you have two pieces of furniture out there. But now that I'm in Christ, I have three pieces of furniture. Now that I'm in Christ, I'm in this golden room, and I have three components. So the first one is the menorah. Now the menorah represents the Holy Spirit. So one of the symbols of the Holy Spirit is oil. We get anointed by the Holy Spirit. So um, I don't have time to teach this, but I, would, I wish that I had more. We're going to have to do another Types and Shadows course because there's just too much to cover. Would you guys like that? We really need to do another one. So, so I'm going to give you what would ordinarily be a whole lesson. So this, this is on just the menorah. Okay, so the menorah is, is uh, I don't have time to show you that it's actually like a calendar, but it's more than that. There, every piece is made out of almond branches and almond blossoms and almond bloods, and it shows seasons and it shows years. So this candlestick is like a big calendar, and then you have this lighting candle in the middle, 
So anyway, uh, it actually reflects the days of creation. It actually reflects the tree of life. I mean, there's so much just in the menorah by itself. But I want to show you a part of the menorah that I think you'll be excited about. There's one thing that does not belong in this room, but it's there. It shouldn't be there, but it's there. I am in a golden room. I am looking at a golden menorah that's crafted out of one piece of gold. It's magnificent to look at. They have created a special oil that human hands cannot touch. Human hands, they have created a special oil. They've mixed it together as, as the Lord told them to mix it. They poured it inside the menorah. And then Moses asked, well, how do we light it? He says, oh, just get an old filthy rag. Just twist up an old, that doesn't matter. You just twist up an old filthy rag and stick it in there. Let it get soaked in the oil and set it on fire. It'll be all right. And I don't know if you've picked up on where I'm going with this, but you know who's in that room that shouldn't be in that room? You're in that room. And I'm in that room because the Bible says our righteousness is as filthy rags. The one thing that does not belong in a room of gold is an old, torn up, twisted up, dirty rag. But when you soak it in the oil and set it on fire, it draws the oil up from the lamp and the Holy Spirit brings light to the world. So that's a portrait of the, of the day of Pentecost when the tongues of fire set down upon them. So, so when you get anointed, the wick pulls the oil up. And that's what being spirit filled is all about. It's pulling the oil out of us. You know, you don't really experience the spirit filled life till you start doing ministry. And when you start praying for people and serving people and doing ministry, you pour, you pull the oil up through the wick to the point that the whole wick is saturated and set on fire. So you have this menorah, which represents the Holy Spirit. And then you have this table of shoe bread. So you have two stacks of six bread, two the number of Jesus, six the number of man, all together the number of government or the 12 tribes of Israel. So you have, you have stacks of bread. There's six here and six here side by side. And if, uh, and if you have a canonized Bible, which is 66 books, there's a portrait of that too, right? There on the on the top of that on the top of that table. Okay, so you have you have the table of bread, which represents the word of God. Okay, His word is uh, is is the bread of life inside of us. It also represents Christ because Jesus is the God Man. So you have them stacked in sixes, which is the number of man. But there's two stacks of them. He didn't stack them on top of each other. There's two stacks of sixes representing Christ as the bread of life. So you've got the portrait of Christ. You've got the Holy Spirit living in us, being pulled. Pulled up through that through that wick and set on fire, but then you also have the third piece, which is what we got to talk about. The third piece is the altar of incense. So let me let me back this up. You've got I've got salvation at the brazen altar. I've got sanctification at the labor. I've got the Holy Spirit in me from the menorah. I've got the Word of God in me through, um, through the table of bread. Does that sound like you? 
I mean, that sounds like me. Does that, does that sound like Christianity to you? Does that sound like serving God? Well, what else do we do? Well, there's something else we do that brings us into God's presence. We pray and we worship. So when we approach this next component, it was the type and shadow of what we do now every time we lift our hands and every time we bow our head in prayer or close our eyes and, bow and get on our knees. So now you have, you have two symbols, okay? So this really ties together beautifully. So, so you have to remember that prayer and worship looked a lot different during the time of Moses than it does now. There was no singing then. Now, you've got what we call the Song of Moses. Moses was more like a recital. I mean, it was like a, uh, something that you would speak out loud. The only musical instrument we've ever seen before David is Miriam playing a tambourine on the side of the, of the river. And so, she's playing a tambourine and leading a dance, but you didn't have musical instruments until the time of David. And the, 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 that's why the Bible calls it the key of David. Now, I don't want to get into another thought here, but I'd like to talk about this too if I had time. You know what worship does? You know what the key of David does? It opens doors that no man can shut and shuts doors that no man can open. That's what it does. That's the whole purpose of the key of David. So your worship is more than beautiful. Your worship is a weapon. Your worship closes portals and opens doors, spiritual doors in your life. So that is why we come before the Lord. That's why David would write later, come before His presence with singing. No one's ever said that before. No one ever come before God's presence with singing before. Not until the tabernacle of David in the time of David. David gave us the key that unlocked the door to the presence of God. Okay, through worship. So when we get to the altar of incense, it is foreshadowing worship and prayer as we know it, or as we will know it now and later on see it. Thank you so much for supporting our ministry. If this has blessed you, please say a prayer for us. And if you would like to give, we have four ways that you can do that. You can give online at briancutshaw.com, or if you're a PayPal user, just PayPal us at Church Trainer. Or you can also give through the mail at P.O. Box 267, Georgetown, Tennessee, 37336. Or if you're a Venmo user, you can Venmo us also at Church Trainer. Thank you, and God bless you, and may the Lord multiply your seed. Now back to hope in the word. When you get into the breath to, to the instructions, we have to go into the book of Exodus chapter 30. So let's read a few of these instructions together. You shall make an altar to burn incense on, and you shall make it of acacia wood. We talked about acacia wood um, in the other teaching. A cubit shall be its length and a cubit its width. So it's a square one by one cubit square, and then it's two cubits high. That's the part I was looking for. All right, two cubits shall be its height. So I want you to get that. You have one, the number of unity, two, the number of Christ. So you have Jesus bringing unity. You have Jesus unifying us to God. That's why he, that's why the veil was torn in the temple. That's why we can now approach God because it's Christ that unified us back to God. So now here's the instructions with this altar of incense. He says in verse 7, Aaron shall put on its sweet incense every morning 
when, this is important, when he tends the lamp, he burns incense on it. So you have to light the lamp first or you can't see in the room. So there's a process here. The process here is that prayer has to be guided by the Holy Spirit. That worship cannot be about music and about whoever's playing the music or, or about who's singing the song. It can't be about my style, my genre, my favorite song, my favorite singer, my favorite piano player. He said all that is is entertainment. That's not worship. Worship means you lit the menorah first and now you come into His presence because the light of the Spirit is lit, has lit up the room and is shining the room. So there is a process here that you only burn the incense after you tend to the lamp. Okay? Now, let's go down, and uh, there's a lot more there in that verse, but since I took a little detour there, I'm not going to read all of that to you, read all that for you, but I will explain all of it for you. Okay, so I've already described the fact that it's one cubit by one cubit square, representing unity, two cubits tall, representing uh, Christ. Then you also have four horns just like the other altar. Now what's interesting about this altar is nothing is ever tied to the horns and slain. Only on the brazen altar is something tied up and slain. Only on the brazen altar is something lifted up. This is the only thing hanging on that altar. Okay, now this probably is not what theirs look like, but this is a, I bought this years ago at the Catholic bookstore. So this is probably what the Catholic people use, well I'm certain that it is, for their incense, okay? And I thought about lighting it up, but I didn't want to take any chances. So uh, anyway, it does, it, you, you can put incense in there and burn it and create holy smoke, all right? So that's the idea. So on this other horn is this, not an animal. Not an animal dying or, or squealing because he's about to die, but this is taking the place of that animal. But the horns are there to let you know you're at a real altar. Now there are four horns, four represents the number of the earth, and there are four golden rings. I know the Christmas song says there's five, but on this altar there's only four. So there's four golden rings, and the golden rings are protruding out the side because inside the golden rings there are two poles made of acacia wood overlaid with gold. Now I've told you this over and over so you know it by now, right? Two is the number of Jesus, the number of the Messiah. So the two poles that carry it means that this altar is carried by Him. This altar is lifted up on the two golden poles, the two golden staffs that carry this altar. Now prophetically what you're seeing in this altar is you're seeing the Kingdom of God. Prophetically what you're seeing is unity coming from Christ, shouldered by Christ, Golden rings representing the, the unified kingdom, or the gold, gold representing the kingdom, or the majesty of the kingdom, and four representing the people of the earth coming together because of Christ, trying to get into God's presence. But there's no lamb and no bull, there's only that. So in just a moment we'll get there. So you have all of this inside that. So, so what God does is He instructs Aaron to offer incense two times a day. 
Now, that's, it's interesting because I want to throw something in here that I think it really fits this well. So, in Genesis 1 and 5, the Bible says that God called the light day and the darkness He called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. All right, so God starts the day at the cool of the day and ends the day at the cool of the day. So, He is identifying two parts of the day that represent the cool of the day. Now, in Genesis 3 and 8, when God comes looking for Adam and Eve, the Bible says that they heard God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So, we know that it's either morning or evening because that is when they walked with God. So, it's interesting that the instructions for, for offering these incense is first thing in the morning and at the end of the day. Now, that's, those are the optimal times for prayer. Those are the optimal times for worship. So, you start your day with worship. You know, um, when I get up out of bed, I'm an early riser this morning, it was 4.30, and I was, I was thinking, really? You know, not 5? You know, but, uh, but you know, it just, I'm just an early riser. My body does that. It's my body clock. I've been doing it since I was a kid, drove my parents crazy. But I've just been that way my whole life, and I've got a daughter who's that, and I've got five granddaughters, and three of them are just like that. So, there's no sleeping in at our house. You know, it's not going to happen. Luckily, my redhead gets up early, too, so that helps us out. All right, so, um, so that's my wife, for those of you that don't know who I'm talking about there. Her name is Faith, but I call her my redhead. And so, um, so when I get up out, out of bed, I did this this morning. I sit, I, I, I sit on the side of my bed before I even put on house shoes or anything, and I do this. May the Lord bless and keep you. May the Lord cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you His shalom. I do that every morning when I first wake up to bless the day. I don't want to go anywhere that God hasn't gone before me. I want the Lord to go before me. Well, in this incense, He is offering this schedule of worship in the morning, worship in the evening, or prayer in the morning, and prayer in the evening. Now, there's another component to this that is very unique. One time a year, on the Day of Atonement, you actually put blood on this altar. Now, the blood is not from an animal that's killed in this room. The blood connects this altar to this altar. So, the, on the Day of Atonement, you take the blood from the brazen altar, from the altar of sacrifice, and you bring it in and you sprinkle it on the four horns of the altar. Because the only way the kingdom stays unified, and the only way the kingdom stays in Christ is when it stays under the blood. And can I just throw another little preachy thing in here at you? I mean, this is not long like the other one, but I just want to throw this in. You know why a lot of people aren't seeing results in their prayers is because they're not, they're not walking in authority. When I say that, they're not talking in authority. So, instead of just saying, will you, will you, will you, help me, help me, help me, why don't you start saying, in the name of Jesus, I take authority over this by the authority of the name of Jesus that is in me. I take authority over this. I command this. I, I declare this. That's what kingdom talk sounds like. So, you can change your circumstances when you start speaking under the authority of the blood versus when you're just asking for something and bringing a petition before the Lord. Okay, so, so 
on that one time of the year, they brought the blood in and sprinkled it so that everyone would understand that it was unifying the two of them. All right. Now, let me just kind of, let me kind of just toss this in again. I think we talked about this in the last lesson, but I, I think these verses are very important So it, to, to tie these two altars together. So, let's go to Hebrews 4 again. And verse 14, seeing that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot, be, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but in all points was tempted just as we are yet without sin. Let us come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy in the time of need. And so, understand the first part of that language that He passed through. Okay, so there's a veil at the time that Jesus died that was rent in two that allows us now to come boldly before the throne of grace. But here's what you got to understand. You can't just walk in there living in your sin and not pass the brazen altar and the laver and the menorah and the, no, there, there, are, there is a protocol it's not just because, well, the veil's rent in two and I'm under grace. I'll just live any way I want to live. And, you know, me and Jesus got our own thing going. That's not how this works at all. It's a throne of grace to obtain mercy. But you have to, you know, if you go before the Queen of England, you better learn how to curtsy. Because you're not going to be allowed in the room because she's queen. If you come before the King of Kings, you better learn how to curtsy. What does that curtsy look like? It looks like a brazen altar and a laver and a menorah and a table of bread and an altar of incense. What does that mean? I need to be saved before I can come before the, the throne of grace with boldness. I need to practice sanctification in my life. I need to have, I need to understand what conviction feels like and how to submit to conviction through sanctification. I need to know what that is like. I'm not talking about legalism. I'm talking about the whole, I'm not talking about a set of rules that set you apart. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit who set you apart. And I'm talking about the Word of God. It's the Word of God is like beholding your face in a mirror. That's what the Bible says. When you see in the mirror something's wrong, you fix it. That's what you do. And so, you, you, you get saved, you're sanctified, you have the Holy Spirit in you, and then you're, you're staying in the Word and you come before the Lord in prayer. This is how you pass through. Alright, so these are the steps that's leading up to that. But there's one more thing that is needed for the high priest to get through. All right. It's one thing to come through those five steps, but there's something else that's needed to get under the veil for the high priest. He has to create holy smoke. All right. Without the holy smoke, he will die. If he doesn't create the holy smoke from the incense and go under the veil with the incense, with this, with this censer around him, if he's not covered in the smoke, he will die when he crawls under the veil to get into the presence of the, of the, of the Holy of Holies. All right. So, what kind of spice is in this incense? All right. Now, boy, this really gets good. I want to tell you, I'm just going to try to contain myself and get through it. I want everybody to say four plus one. Okay. Now, somebody tell me, do the math. What is four plus one? It's five, right? It's five. So, four plus one is five. So, there are four spices plus salt. 
He says, get, now the salt doesn't burn. He says, create these four spices, and then when you burn it, sprinkle salt over it as a covenant. Now that's interesting. You're not going to smell it. It's not going to burn. I mean, you can pour salt on fire to put it out. But the salt is something different. This program is brought to you by the partners of Brian Cutshaw and Church Trainer Ministries. Please help us pray that the Lord will continue to send us more partners so we can expand His kingdom around the world.